Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about the infamous question, what is land worth? In our spotlight, we'll look at biofungicide. Egg History Minute, we'll talk about the deer planter, the early version. Cool beans, that's corny. We'll talk about FMC's new herbicide and a probe by the Department of Justice into Dean Foods merger. Then we'll have our You Applied What segment looking at some herbicides. So with me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey, guys. Todd Schomburg. Hey, all the Tilthies out there. Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So, all right. This has been a sad week. At least I'm told we're supposed to be sad. Um, which, that sounds wrong, too. Kobe Bryant and his daughter passed away, which is very sad, but you'd think the world should stop on, on its head the way it's been reported. So, What blew me away, guys, was like just how how much it like everybody was talking about it like doesn't matter what sport even soccer players overseas were doing tributes to the guy which obviously we haven't probably had a tragic death like this for in a long time somebody i heard the other night was equating it to Roberto Clemente obviously was not around for that but um just one of those uh you know you know where you were kind of things people were talking about like I remember where I was at nine eleven, like those kinds of things. And I don't think it'll be quite like nine eleven. Probably not eleven, but just you knew where you were when you heard the news of this. It was just an interesting fact. I how how much it it is too bad with a bunch of us having kids of his daughter passing. To me, is more tragic. Yeah, that was for me the know, bigger the, part of it too. It was like, oh, Kobe died. Kobe died. Well, what about his kid? Like she died too, or and the, so did and the other people. families. Yeah. 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 And the seven other people in the but there, helicopter. There's, there's something to be said that, you know, we don't, I guess, we don't know Kobe Bryant either, but we didn't, we definitely didn't know those, you know, eight other people. You know, we, you know what I'm saying? We didn't, I didn't have a, any kind of connection to those other people, but Kobe Bryant, you know, when I was a kid, he was still Mamba. The man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when I started playing basketball, he was, he was the guy. The, I remember we, they used to play the Kobe Bryant song in the gym for during warmups. And like that, so he he was a big deal when I was a kid. So, to me, I was like, you know, he's one of those idols for me growing up. Like, even though I moved away from basketball, I still I liked I liked the mentality, the the killer mentality. He was always always ready to score more points, always ready to to be aggressive, that kind of stuff. So, to me, it was like, you know, it's kind of one of your childhood idols. I heard an interview one this week that someone had had with him. His last game, he must have scored like sixty one points or something. Yep, and um. They asked him, like, what, what were you thinking? And it had nothing to do with the 61. They were, like, in a playoff hunt or whatever, and he's like, we needed to win that game to get in the playoffs. And I knew I needed to score as many points as possible to will us to make the playoffs. So I thought that was pretty pretty badass. Talking about playoffs, you, tell us what you heard about the Bucks. Yeah, I was um, after a, a – baseball board meeting i'm involved with that where guys get together and go to the bar afterwards and one of the guys is like hey did you hear that the bucks magic number to clinch a playoff berth is 12 and they can actually do that before the all-star break wow so the bulls have to lose six and we have to win six or any combination of that and then the bucks actually will clinch they'll be in the playoffs before the all-star break i'm not a huge nba guy but i just thought that was like holy man like you made the playoffs before your all-star game. Like, imagine if the Packers 
I mean, it don't work that way in Packers. But imagine if the Brewers made the playoffs in July, right? You know, before All Star Game. That that's just craziness. Well, if the pa- I guess if the Packers made the playoffs before their bye week, when are, even you know, even if that bye week is week twelve, if we know by week twelve that we're going to the playoffs, you know, we're happy. Yeah, but well, yeah. It, I heard him last night on the radio <laughs> talking. This is not like a good basketball team. This is a historic. You know, they're they're in the they're in that same kind of trajectory as those historic, you know, the Warriors teams from a couple of years ago, the Bulls, you know. Well, they, they dropped 150 on the Wizards the other night, and without Giannis, Giannis wasn't even playing, so crazy. I just hope they can do something in the play, you know, right. even to make it to the finals, and, well, heck, winning the finals would be awesome, but you don't want one of these historic seasons, and then you Peter don't do something. Right at the end. Yeah. yeah. No, that would not be good, so. Basketball-centric today, boys, I guess. (laughs) Yep. Topic of the day. Well, let's go from making baskets to what is land worth? So, Bill, you came up with the topic for today. So what's your your thoughts here? Well, I had a, you know, usually these topics come from grower conversations, right, that we have from time to time. And got an email yesterday from a grower asking, um, you know, he's got land. He's got plenty of land, but... There's three, 400 acres that are possibly up for rent across the road. And he was just wondering, you know, break even and what should I pay for land rent, knowing that they probably know that it's across the road, so it's going to be worth more. Just trying to think about, um, you know, if your normal land rent is this price, what kind of premium should I put on the top that, you know, so make sure I get it. Because in that area, if he doesn't take it, I'm sure there'll be other farms that, are right behind them if it's if it's known for rent that you know they're going to pay it so that was kind of the thought behind the discussion is you know and that we get that question every year right like what is land rent what should i pay is it worth it or is not and everybody's different cuz your financials are different and your feed supply is different and they just expanded so that's hard too it does go back to cost of production though a lot and i wish more farms would know that number because if you know your cost of production and what it costs you to grow something, that land rent number fits right in there then. Obviously, it's hard with projecting yields, but at least it gives you an idea where to start. And I think he was just looking for, like, am I in the ballpark? You know, is the, is the number I'm thinking in the ballpark of That's what it should be? what's hard be. with all of purchases and land rents is you don't want to be way above the ballpark. You don't want to be below and you want to be right in the mix, so that's a tough thing when with, you know, a lot of these bids are, are usually kind of, you know, uh, not, they're just kept quiet, so you don't know if you're going to be overbid or way under or or what. It's like the price is right. I think one of the things is um, kind of kind of thing that we undervalue, overvalue, just have a hard time valuing for farms is when they own, like, some of their own equipment how much it's really costing them to use it. So like if they own their own manure pumping, hauling, spreading equipment, how it's hard to value what that's worth. Um, you know, cause they may own the equipment, but they have to hire four extra people to work that day where it's not like we're a smaller farm, you know, they just have a tanker laying around and he hauls tankers during the day instead of fixing the disc, you know? So it's being able to calculate that stuff, I think is a hard, um, I guess a hard, hard formula to work into the equation too that's a good point max because if you have a custom hauler you know exactly what it costs you right because that bill shows up and if you have your own stuff you gotta take the time to 
talk about fuel and maintenance and what that man that you have or woman in the tractor costs you and mixing the pit up and all that stuff that you just do for the day, right? You don't you don't write it down or get a bill for it. So, and uh, we kind of figured that between what would the, the savings of manure cost and hauling a feed that that number might be around a hundred dollars somewhere in there an acre that you could possibly pay more for that. And the other conversation I had with him was, um, you know, he had talked about frack tanking and all that. And I said, well, if it's right across the road, is there a culvert? You know, now we don't need trucks. We can just take right out of the pit and that's land you weren't able to access before with the, with the hose and not even use a truck or a frack tank. And you, instead of moving it three times, you move it once and um, so that I think is a benefit too of having that land close by, even if you don't own it. Well, and I think you had mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking about this topic, soil test comes into play there too. How how fertile is that ground? How much manure? You know, if it's if it's low, then you can go on that a lot with manure. That's in some ways a benefit. I mean, low fertility is not always a good thing, but. At least you can get a lot of manure out there. Might be a benefit to them. So if you have soil tests, um, that can help with that decision as well. Knowing what you need to put into that field to get it to grow a good crop. I don't know if you were paying attention in that meeting yesterday, Bill. When I was taking notes, when we were talking to that girl who was picking up new land, the big note at the top of my paper with seventeen stars around it was get these in the maps so we can get them soil sampled as soon as the snow comes off, so yep. we can be ready for this year and 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 know exactly what we're dealing with right away. Get those samples pulled and into the lab and be ready to go before they ever get it planted. Yeah, because that's the the wild card there, right? You know, you speculate what that land could possibly could possibly be in, in fertility, and you got in a good idea based on what that farm was. Um, you know, one farm was cash-cropped ground, so no manure has been seen there, so you kind of assume that maybe it's low. Not necessarily, but it's a possibility. Some of the other ground had some older style dairies on it and that cows were pastured and feed bunks out there. So we're afraid of some hot spots, maybe around the feed bunk, you know, that could skew things. Um, so, yeah, there's I, you got to think about that, too. Would you rather have the, the um, you know, that cash crop land that you know the fertility is not going to be fantastic on or the pastured type, type stuff where there's so many ups and downs in the fertility um, throughout that field. Which, which, if you have to pick one, are you going to take consistent low fertility or inconsistent I high fertility? I think you take fertility any day you'd want that pastured ground because it's it's got better organic matter, better, it's just better soil in general. Even, even if it's parts per million is over? Maybe if it's too high, if obviously it's over you don't want it too high. But I'm just still saying it's usually really good yeah. soil. So I'd take good soil over that any day. I. Bill, get back to what, and both of what you're saying about soil test. I always thought when we're talking land purchases and, and renting land, isn't it silly that we don't get that soil test with that? Look at any other purchase you make, um, whether it's a new vehicle or whatever. You wouldn't go and, you know, basically go in blind at it. And yet with land, we almost have to do that. Let's go buy a tractor and not know what the horsepower is. Kind of. Yep. It's exactly. Right. Or, or how many hours are on it. Yeah. Do, yeah. do I mean, not tempt me. <laughs> no. I mean, it just seems like how, and I don't know if we can ever change. I mean, I think obviously if you talk to the, to the landlord or the person selling the land, 
you, you can get some ideas of what's out there and maybe say a, re, a soil test. But like I said, how when you go buy a new house, it shows the square footage and it shows, you know, you see pictures of the inside. This, it's like you basically just sort of get an idea from driving by the piece of ground. That's about all you got to go off of. Window shopping. Window shopping. How many times, it, you know, maybe you could get soil tests from what they already have, but are they are they too old? Who took them? How did they take them? You think as like the rural appraisers or some of the, or the banks even given loans for the, the why they wouldn't require that sometimes is surprising to me that it's like a credit you, score, right? Right. You go right, to the, get a loan and they check your credit score. Crazy. So. So we need to start asking for that before we do land purchases. I, hey, we need your soil sampling history. Right. Like a, or even think of the yield data that oh. some of that land has. Oh. Right. What's, but, what's getting pulled I, off. And yeah. I've been asked a couple of times and I'm never exactly sure how to handle this. If there's someone who is going to be picking up a piece of land that we used to work with, how much of that information are we... Oh, yeah. No, it's always the grower's information. So, yeah, it's... Right. So, we really can't... No, right. It would be right. up to the landlord yeah. or whoever to... And I always, of... I always kind of say that. I'm like, you can't really take that up with me. But, you right. know, people think, oh, you're the you're the agronomist. You should be able to tell to, me. To... And I... Yes, I have the ability to tell you, but technically it's not my information no, to share but but that's where those like i said landlord or current owner exactly wish they would step in sometimes and, and provide more information but then you're competing with land with somebody so they're not going to share anything you know right. you get into those bidding or those neighborhood bidding wars that's always a an experience right. yeah so there you go what's land worth whatever somebody will pay for it yeah that. Those, <laughs> that is exactly right, but those are some things we talked about from, that you could go into your thoughts on how you want to from do the that. from the landowner, whatever someone will pay for it, and as the renter, um, whatever whatever you can afford. For, yeah, yeah. Now, in the long run, that's about it. But yeah, if you you can get soil tests, or at least you know you're you're gonna wanna if you do get it, soil test right away, so you know what you've got going in, know what kind of inputs you need to put into it. Um, Does. Does the FSA office or the county do they keep yield data off of fields that that is kind of accessible or not really? Is that not really? They've a, got you know NAS, the National Egg Statistics Service has some of those kind of numbers, but they're not very accurate. Because they're you know if you if, if you would be able to check check that way and see oh you know they you know they always get two hundred bushel of corn off of here well then you you kind of you can I, I actually see better reasoning. is right from the going to the soil I like going to the soil map the old NRCS soil maps okay. you can usually get a pretty good idea off of the NRCS soil map you know if half the fields a really good fertile soil and the other half's not as good or, you know just an idea of what you're dealing with well and the history of the field too I mean if it's right across the road from your farm you've you've seen what's happened there Somebody had it for forty years and they quit farming. That why it's up for sale, or did somebody run it for a year and and now they're they're out. You know and that would make you wonder. Okay, why? You know, was it the guy's financials or was he just not able to make the field profitable? So I think that could give you some clues too. If you if it's close, you know, you can watch it. You've seen what's happening on the field and know how many people have have been there. That makes a difference too. You you kind of bring up a good point there, Matt. As um. Do, does the value of land change based on the term of your agreement? You know, are you willing to pay a little bit more 
but you know you don't you're only locked into it for three years where you know i'd rather pay a little bit less but be stuck with it for five you know if it if it ends up being bad i guess that's a big consideration um well and the other things that come into play too guys is like tiling you know guys are gonna have more propensity to tile if they got a 10-year contract on something you know so like the contract is i think a bigger deal than anything and how many of these how many of these your growers have? Yeah, I got a handshake deal, or it's a year to year. I never know, and it's like, man, just that's just. I, I know it's just the way life is, and you can't change landlords to have a contract if they don't want one. But obviously, if you can get one and you get that ten years or whatever, and I think the other thing we we're going back to the soil testing thing is, no matter what the soil tests, you know, and like Todd, you were talking about the soil survey is, you know, the soil type, so you know if it's a sandy soil that we get a dry year, it's going to be bad type soil or if it's, you know, vice versa or whatever. So no matter what the soil test is, finding out what that soil type is and the growing, the growing capacity or the yield potential, that soil probably is important too. So, so there you go. There's a lot of information, uh, get as much as you can and, you know, proximity to your farm is always going to be a big part of this, especially for dairy farmers. Uh, ability to get manure out quickly and and relatively cost effectively is is a good thing. So uh, lots lots to consider there. And if you can get soil tests, get them. If not, make sure you soil test before you plant, just so you know what you got going on. All right, let's move into our spotlight. <clears throat> so today we've got a biofungicide from Wilbur Ellis. Their new fung- biofungicide is Romeo. Romeo, Romeo, where for out thou, Romeo? Is it a star-crossed fungicide? I believe it works well with Capulets, but not with Montagues. I, I'm not sure. It's I been, can't remember. It's been too long since I yeah, read that play. It's been too long for me. <laughs> so I never to, understood back, it. So Back to freshman year English. It's yeah. not Romeo. R-O-M-E-O. Romeo. So Romeo is a preventative biofungicide. Imagine that, preventative. <laughs> Not too many of these are meant to be put onto an active fungus. Fungus. They're always preventative. Why, um, uh, maybe this is a question more for a, 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 a um, plant uh, pathologist. Patholo- there you go. That's the word I couldn't come up with. Why is it so hard to, to come up with a treatment fungicide? Versus a preventative, what what's the difference? Because in people we don't use preventative fungicides; we use Treat, treatment yeah, fungicides. Well, maybe it's once we get infected, it's hard to get those. You know, once I, it's infected in the plant, it's, you know, we got to get the short life cycle that it. Yeah. Right. I, guess I think it's it the consistency yeah. of application. You'd have to keep applying. I think to get the you know when you when you get a fungal cream, you don't put it on once and you're done. It's usually you know once a day, twice a day. Isn't that right, Max? That's yeah, you got jock itch going on. Uh, I'm more of a ringworm guy. Big, ringworm, big, big, that wrestler. Big. I haven't had ringworm yet this year. It's been nine <laughs> months. I'm doing really well. Uh, but I think that that comes part of it too. It's a, you want to do a, a one and done, and hopefully get that application to and keep your plant from seeing that stress rather than trying to react to a stress. Because when you look at a plant like soybeans with white mold, once you see it, it's already too late. So, I think one interesting about Romeo is it is organic farming ready. It's an all natural product that leave behind no residue. So that's I mean I know when they use the word bio, 
in there you you maybe assume that it does that but not always and it's kind of kind of interesting as we're kind of bridging that gap and giving more products for organic farming i thought it was interesting there's a statement in here about um introducing the plants to a non-living fungus that this product signals the pathways in the plant to kind of enable internal responses to prevent diseases so it's almost obviously that's why they call it a biostimulant or whatever it's stimulating that plant to protect itself i thought it was just cool that in the age of uh, bacteria and all these products that are coming out that are in that realm that they're even looking into a fungicide that's kind of probably not the same but you know in the similar way to do it so yeah, it looks like it's mostly meant for powdery and downy mildews at least that's what they've been testing it on. So, A new pumpkin fungicide for me. There you go. Very exciting. Well, I got some pottery mildew and wheat, so... Oh, yeah, but, but I'm a pumpkin farmer. That's true. All right, let's move into our Ag History Minute. So today we're going to talk about the Deer and Mansur Planter, a joint venture between Charles Deere and Elva Mansur came to prominence soon after its launch in 1877. It's a long time ago. That is. Due to the rotary drop design, innovating the use of horizontally operating plate to meter seed, the advance soon caught the attention of farmers, and by 1899, so the turn of the last century, deer was the largest producer of planters in the world. By 1913, it was just the deer planter. The man's surname was dropped. And it was the number 999, which touted the natural cell fill plate that further improved seeding accuracy. Plus, the 999 operated 50% with, with 50% fewer moving parts than competitive planters while offering a unique foot lever that allowed the seeding rate to change on the go. In 19, or 18, uh, 1913, it was probably lever. I'm going to say lever in 1913. Pull the lever. So chain, yeah, seating rate on the go. That'd be, that was a big deal in that time. Two decades later, variable drop mechanism was added to let farmers change the seed spacing distance from five and a half to 26 inches without changing plates. When I found that in this article in Successful Farming, I was like, wow, we want to change our seating distance. You know, now we want to keep it accurate back then they were right well i'm assuming 26 just has to do with population then, right. obviously, but right. 26 inches is a lot that's a big yeah, yeah that's, that's a row width basically yeah right? how big was those cobs like three feet long <coughs> i suppose if you're cultivating then you yeah can go yeah for cultivation you can go, go the other ways, ways yeah sure. so crazy so yeah deer replaced the plates in 1968 with its unique finger pickup mechanism that selected seeds one at a time to further improve accuracy. So I bet you that was a big revolution in 1968 because we're still using we're still it using today. fingers, yeah. Yeah, yep. pretty crazy. Think of how long that took, too, from 1899 or whatever to 18. 1968. They were just so happy That's, to have a planter. Yeah, and not have They're to like, oh, we're not going to worry about making them better for a few years. Let's just plant some corn for a while. So there you crazy. go. All right, everybody out there that likes what you're hearing, please go to NAICC.org, which is the National Alliance of Independent Crop Consultants. On that page, you'll find a crop consultant in your area. All right, today for our cool beans, that's corny. Let's go cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. All right. 
FMC launches the new Authority Edge herbicide. So this is a soybean, sunflower, and dry shell peas, including chickpeas herbicide. And it looks like it's effective on palmer, water hemp, pigweed, nightshade, lamb's quarter, cochlea, Russian thistle, morning glory, smartweed, foxtail, barnard grass, and fall panicum. What did what's the edge part, Bill? The edge part is Zidua. Oh. I thought that was so, pretty awesome. So, we, um, authority. Authority and Zidua. 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 Yeah, so we cool. got uh, the Zidua gives us some grass control too, which obviously authority really doesn't. And then you throw in Zidua being a good uh, water hemp product, we got kind of double double edge sword. Bam! Pun intended. That is cool, on, yeah. Uh, on water hemp. So I thought that was pretty cool fungicide. Ah, fungicide. Herbicide, herbicide, excuse me. Yeah. All the sides. All the sides. Let's get them. And it has been approved for 2020, so can try it out this year. Did they say it'll be a limited quantity product this year or... Or is they expecting a full a full production year out of it? I don't know, Bill. Did you see anything on that? I did not. I did not. I'm expecting the cost to be a little bit high, you know, just because I, of I the would think so. double products in there. But, I mean, some people dealing with some nasty water hemp maybe at this point um, don't care. <laughs> they just want clean fields. Also true. So I thought that was a pretty, pretty cool beans herbicide and soybeans yeah that is cool beans make for some nice cool beans all right that's corny doj is probing dean foods dairy farmers of america proposed merger so obviously with companies coming together there's usually some sort of antitrust investigation and so nothing but causes all these nice delays for farmers that are have been dealing with dean foods kind of closing doors so what do we got here, Bill? Well, the reason it hit me was I was with a grower a month or so ago that is with DFA, and he wasn't very happy being with them, and it sounds like they really don't give him any flexibility in moving from DFA, and it's just he's kind of stuck there. And as I read the article, um, the DFA controls about 30% of the market share, and then you continue on, and if this would come together... It would go from thirty percent to sixty percent of the fluid milk. So that that in the upper Midwest, which my assumption then would mean that these, the flexibility for farmers would even go more in the wrong direction. Yeah, no, that's a lot of a lot of market share right there. No wonder they're being investigated by antitrust. Sixty percent of a market share—that's that's a pretty astronomical number. Yeah. You think of the forty percent that's left. How many companies is that split between? You, you know. Probably not many either, really. Right. Because you're talking about two of the bigger bigger ones already with this merger, so there's probably not much much left out there. Say there's four other companies, they only have 10% each. That's not a lot of, they don't have a lot of firepower there. And one of them's probably Walmart because they opened Right, Walmart opened their own, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's kind of different. To me, it feels like it leaves farmers with less options. And obviously, with all these mergers, we're seeing in other industries fertilizer and, and that kind of thing that. Leaving farmers less options. Yeah, less is not always more. No. Nope. So kind of a bummer. Yeah. Corny. Well, thanks for bringing us down, Bill. <laughs> You're welcome. Anytime. <laughs> All right. Now let's move into you applied. What? What did you do? So, Bill, I think you're up on this one. Yeah. I'm pretty pumped about this one because um, 
I think it's going to stump you guys. So we got four products. Dual 2 Magnum, Sonic, Outlook, and Warrant. So um, one is not like the others. Even though you might think they are all the same, one is not like the other. Any thoughts, gentlemen? Dual, Sonic, Outlook, Warrant. Sticking with the cool beans topic here, but... Okay, so you're talking bean prees. Yep, bean prees. Yep, and yep. I'm going to go that Sonic is different because that's doesn't have any grass control, whereas Outlook, Warrant, and Duel does. That's my guess. We're just trying to go with us here. Gentlemen, any other uh, thoughts? You're close, Todd. I'm, I'm going to go... Ooh, it could be pre versus post. Cause I'm going to go Warrant. He's the add one out. No good reason, just Warrant. I'm going to... Gosh darn it! Um, dual, now I'm Sonic, thinking Max is because dual you can go post, Outlook you can go post, and Warrant you can go post. I know that's what I was. So I that's what I was going through in my head too. Reverse post. So then, so then I would be saying that Sonic is the odd one, yeah, out, but for a different reason. Nice, correct. You got it. Right, Good job, guys. I can't stump you. Yeah. <laughs> I found an article from the United Soybean Board: eight residual herbicide options to consider after soybean emergence. Eight? That Eight. seems like a lot. Yep. So Anthem, Dual, First Rate, Pursuit, Prefix, Outlook, Warrant, and Zidua were the eight that they talked about. So I just threw in their Sonic knowing that we can't take that post. So good job. All right. Better than I expected Woo. for you guys. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. Even a broken <laughs> clock is right twice a day. All right. So today we talked about what land is worth. We talked about, in our spotlight, new biofungicide from Wilbur Ellis, Romeo. In our Egg History Minute, we talked about the evolution of the deer planter. Cool beans, that's corny. FMC launched a new Authority Edge herbicide ready for 2020. And our that's corny was the DOG, DOJ probe into Dean Foods Dairy Farmers of America proposed merger. You applied what? We had soybean herbicides. One of which was not like the other. So, thanks, guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Thanks to all the tilties out there. And as always, happy farming.